I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello Broncos fans and welcome to a special episode of Broncos Weekly. As always, I'm Mitch and I'm joined on the line by our new friend, Channel 7's own Chris Gary. How you doing, Chris? Good, mate. How are you, Mitch? Mate, I'm, I'm coping. That's what I am after the, after Saturday. I'm coping. It's not, not in existence, but I'm here. Mate, anyway, um, anyway, everyone, we've got Chris from Channel 7. As you've probably heard of him, very prominent Broncos reporter to jump on the podcast this week. Uh, he is aware of what we do most weeks, so I won't, <laughs> won't surprise him with my uh, my demeanour today. But um, anyway, Chris, thanks for coming on, and I hope you're looking forward to joining not just myself, but uh, the I'd say the the more hardcore Broncos fans who listen to this podcast. Oh, absolutely, mate. I get some um, some very interesting messages on Twitter, so. I feel like this is going to be an audio version of that, <laughs> but that's all good, you know. Like that's the whole point, isn't it? Like, the as I say to some of the Broncos when they get the shits with me, like I am here to be a conduit as such for the fans. Like a lot of what I do is meant to be. I do try and think with what do the fans want to know. So, yeah, exactly, man. Anyway, before we get started, I thought I'd just get people more familiar with yourself, and I want I want to address one thing that. I don't think anyone believes, but apparently you're you're a New Zealand Warriors fan. I sure am, man. And uh, <laughs> since since um '95, so I I was uh, in New Zealand until I was about uh, five or so in a little town called Tamaranui, which is in uh, King's Country, um, south of uh, Hamilton near uh, Mount Ruapehu, uh, like south of like around like like uh, um, fuck, I even know I'm forgetting where I'm from. Sorry, am I allowed to, am I allowed to swear on this or not? Yes, well, yes, you are. <laughs> okay, um, so I'll try not to, but yeah, so yeah, I, I'm from New Zealand. I moved over here when I was about five or six. I sort of forget, been trying to forget, um, but yeah, I, in '95 I went back over for the summer, just before '95. So the summer of '95, when um, the Warriors were about to launch in Super League, etc., and all that was coming through. And um, a family member, like I had no idea about rugby league, but a family member for Christmas, like I didn't know any of my family over there, and he just gave me a Warriors jersey. Um, so an actual 95, like, Warriors jersey, which I've somehow managed to, to lose. Um, but ever since then, mate, um, loved them. Phil Blake, Sean Hoppy, Ali Lauatiti, all those guys grew up loving the Warriors, watching every game. Like, Sean Hoppy was the first player I really, really followed. And, um, you know, and then those early Stacey Jones, obviously, those early 2000 Warriors teams. And, and the funny thing is, it's like to, to people over here, it's like, oh, really? You follow the Warriors? But whenever I go back home, like all we do is talk about the Warriors. Like people don't understand that in Auckland, not so much this year or last year, but in Auckland, rugby league's a big deal. Like outside of Auckland, not so much, especially the South Island. But in Auckland, it's, it's a huge deal. Like the Warriors are massive. When they're winning, 
they're bigger than the Auckland Blues. Obviously, the All Blacks are in another tier, but in terms of week-to-week, NRL is massive over there. So it's got a huge following, and I get doing the job I do means that the Warriors and following league as a fan isn't really a thing I do as much anymore, but mm. I still try and sit down on the couch and watch as much Warriors games as I can because when the Warriors are thriving, rugby league's thriving, you know, it's that old saying about Parramatta, but there's nothing better when the Warriors are going like those early 2000s teams with Stacey and that was an incredible. Same with Sean Johnson and like in 2011, like I still can't believe how they did Sean Johnson so wrong. It was disgraceful what they did to him. Like people won't understand just how big of a deal he was in New Zealand sport. Yeah, mate, he's, um, how can I compare him to an Aussie? I don't know if I can compare him to an Aussie because he's such a standout in rugby league in New Zealand, Sean. And I think that was the biggest part of, of his departure that, that stuck with me as well. It's like, I know a lot of fans from over here would say, oh, he underperformed, you know, whatever, fuck him, get rid of him. It's like, no, that guy, was, he like was the Warriors and he, he grew up wanting to be a Warriors player and there's so much media we don't consume in Australia that he's featured in over there. So it was always bizarre how that, how that breakup happened. Hey? Yeah, it was really poor. And like, I was, I was in New Zealand about six months uh, before for a wedding and um, you go to the outside on the barbershops, they would have advertised Sean Johnson haircuts, such and such price. <laughs> like that, that's how much of a, a big deal. It sort of reminds me of what like um, Quade Cooper was like when the Reds, like around 2010, 2011. Yeah. Um, for people not in Queensland, like around that time, Quade Cooper, the, the Broncos were going like busted. Darren Lockyer had just retired in 2011. And around that time, Quade Cooper was the biggest Queensland sports star. Um, I had a lot to do with him at the time, and I, I made that so specifically, A, because I like the guy, B, because he's entertaining, but, mate, people just gravitated towards him, you know? And, and it was like that in New Zealand with Sean Johnson. He was arguably, for a while there, the biggest sports star, especially in the North Island. Again, the South Island's a whole different world, but mm. in the North Island, he was huge. Yeah, he was. And uh, he ended up, what, covering the Broncos? How many years now? I know you've obviously it's seven now and at Courier Mail prior, but how long have you pretty much been, you know, Broncos or Brisbane sports focused? Uh, so I joined the Courier. I, start, I started work out at uh, Queensland Times out of Ipswich, a daily paper out there in 20... Or I sort of started doing it when I was in um, uni, but basically 2000, uh, halfway through 2009. Um, and I got to cover Glenn Lazarus's one and only season as Ipswich Jets coach. And I wrote a series of articles that got him sacked because he was a disaster. <laughs> like he was well an abs- yeah, he was an absolute disaster. And an absolute asshole to me. So, um, but understandable too, because I wasn't writing nice things about him. But so anyway, that that got a bit of attention for me from the Courier Mail, and job came up, and next thing you know. But I mean, then I sort of did a bit of everything for about a year at the Courier, and yeah. So I'd say probably since like late 2012, um, that the infamous game of Darren Lockyer when he had, when Gerard Beale broke his uh, orbital bone, I think it was, wasn't he? Remember, and he couldn't fly mm. to Manly, but they had that game yeah. against Manly. That was Terrible a really, game. Yeah, great memories for Broncos fans. So that was, um, I have to give a shout out to Paul Malone, who was the sport editor of the Courier Mail. Like I'd only really covered a couple of league games for the Courier Mail. Not Obviously great guys like Peter Bedell and Steve Ricketts were there, Paul Malone as well, Robert Crash Craddock, amazing reporters that were all there. And um, for whatever reason, after that game, right, that was a Saturday night. And on the Sunday, I was, only, I was the only league reporter on. And Paul Malone was the sport editor and unfortunately, Paul's going through a rough time with it at the moment. He's quite sick, so shout out to him. But um, he 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 just said to me, mate, you're the only league reporter on today, and we've got to follow this story up. So here's Darren Lockyer's number. 
Um, he's in hospital. Call him. Jesus. And um, <laughs> mate, I spoke to Lockie on his hospital bed about it all. And I wrote seven. I did like seven stories the next day. The front page, the back page, a couple in the middle. Yeah, it was something ridiculous. And uh, yeah, ever since then, mate, I fell in love with covering um, the Broncos. I, I don't support them at all, despite what some people think. <laughs> I get a lot of crap on Twitter about that. People are going, oh, of course you do. You know, you're a Broncos supporter. It's like, what am I supposed to talk about? I'm a Brisbane sport reporter. Like, this is, what am I going to talk about South Sydney every day? Like, you know, it's just. <laughs> That's it's, it, mate. It's and then where the attention is, mate, is, you know, Broncos, uh, people in other states can deny, but they are the team that receives, you know, 10 times the attention of any other club in this league. So, of course, you cover the Broncos if you're in Brisbane. Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, the Titans, like, I know I really like the guys down there. Mate, you write a Titans story, you do a Titans story, and uh, no one really cares, which is unfortunate. Yeah. I really hope it changes. Um, it will. But it's a bit like, you know, even when the GWS Giants and the Sydney are going well. You do a GWS Giants if your story, if you're in Sydney, and no one really cares. Well, mate, none of us, you know, none of us Broncos fans took the Titans threat of David Papita seriously. We'll get to that in a moment, but that's it. We, no one takes that club seriously, and I, I, know, I know this might change so, shortly for them, but, yeah, they don't really garner much attention. I want to ask you one more thing before we actually start talking about that, and I, I'm going to get you talking on Twitter again. I'm going to get you to defend one of your takes, and you let me. You, you said I could ask this before the, the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to back to... 10.30.03 p.m., March 22, 2019, tweet from Chris Gary Seven. He said, who would you pay more for right now, Pangai Jr. or Tamalolo? Me, Pangai Jr. Has the ball playing potential, Tamalolo doesn't, and similar running game. Now, you've, you've caught flack for this since the day you tweeted it. Oh, and can I just point out, never deleted it. You yeah. Know. Ballsy just... move, mate. I actually did search for it before the podcast, and I, I, I did spell something wrong, and I couldn't find it. I thought, he has not deleted that, has he? <laughs> like, but no, still... and I never, I never would, because clearly I was a little bit overexcited about what was arguably, uh, can you think of a better individual performance since then? I can't. Like, that was incredible. Really? Well, you're speaking to like another Pangai sympathizer. Like, I'm I'm not here to, to shame you for this take. You know, I, I was on that board, mate. Like that, if you guys forget, this is that game we're talking about round two last year where the Broncos won 29 to 10 over the Cowboys. But Pangai just smashed uh, Tamalolo off the park. And Tamalolo played, what, 34 minutes or so. But uh, Pangai was all over him. And it was one of those Pangai games. And I know for us Broncos fans, it feels like it's been a while since one of those games. But they did happen. Oh, they did. And they will happen again. Here's my thing. The ceiling of Pangai is higher than the ceiling of Taumalolo. I still maintain that, even today. Pangai has not delivered as I expected him to in terms of consistency. Uh, he's been injured. Um, he's just... I, I Sometimes I'm like, what's going on, mate? Like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's, he's, And it does help that he's a really good guy. Obviously, I get on well with him. Um, but his ceiling is higher than Taumalolo's. Would I say the same thing? Would I still pay pay more? Probably not now that I've seen more, but I still believe <laughs> in Pangai, you know? And and the other thing is, hey, three years in a row, the Cowboys aren't going to make the finals. Uh, Broncos aren't making the finals this year either, but they did last year. So I still think that, that Pangai can be the best forward in the competition. So that's my new take. I'm not sure if I'd pay more than Tamalolo for him. <laughs> but guess what? Tamalolo's contract runs out in 2027. <laughs> it's a long time, mate. It's and a long time. and let's be honest, he hasn't been the same this year. He's been pretty average this year by his standards. Still a good by forward. His standards. By his standards, he's been serious. He's he's dropped down. So he's still a very good player. And um, 
I'd just like to say, is, one thing that always sticks in my mind is like one Cowboys official when they were doing the deal said to me, oh, what do you think? 10 years, 2027. 20, and I said, oh, geez, I don't know, mate. That last three years of that, I think is going to really hurt you. And the Cowboys uh, person, who I obviously won't name, said, yeah, but, you know, what does it matter? I won't be here by then. <laughs> <laughs> That's my kind of guy. <laughs> yeah, so... I don't know. Like, I just hope Pangai... Global warming, mate. Tamalola yeah. warming up there. It's not my problem once I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> I just hope uh, Pangai just shows, you know, for Broncos fans especially, and people like yourself and, and me even, who really believe in him, can show us some consistency, which I do think he can. And uh, yeah. he does really rate Seabold too. That's the other interesting thing. He, he's been a really big public supporter of, of Seabold. Yeah, I think uh, Pangai, the, the ceiling thing, I'll let you get away with it. But I think the problem with Pangai is his floor is about 15 times lower than Talmalolo's. And that's with the the bit of that, that uh, when, he, when he sees red and does something a bit stupid and misses a couple of weeks, Talmalolo hasn't got that in his game. And I think that's the big thing holding Pangai back. And you, you got mocked for that take, but you were not the only person thinking Tavita Pangai was a million-dollar player last year. Many thought the same. Oh, yeah. And I won't delete it either. And I've had some other bad takes and I'll continue to have bad takes. But um, That's the take game, mate. You've got to have bad takes. You've got to put the good and bad out there. You've got to be taking takes. You've got got to have an opinion, right? Otherwise, it's like Stephen A, you know, in America. It's like people always mock him, but... What what, what do you want him to do? Just sit sit in front of the TV and just say things that aren't interesting? Yeah. The the funny thing is, though, Chris, mate, no one's ever going to remind you when you were right. That's just how it works. You might have a (laughs) hundred takes that they they were right, and no one's coming back, Chris, mate, remember that really good take you had four years ago? No one's ever said that to anybody. And if I retweet one of my good takes, you just look like a tosser, so. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Actually, let's do one more of your Twitter takes before we move on. This one, actually a bit of Broncos chat, but and this one I think carries a bit of weight, but you did say last preseason on there, and you've caught some stick for this one as well, but they looked like they were training better than, than they were prior. And you want to delve into that one for me about the, you know, the yeah. Broncos was 110% or something they were training at. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. So one of Seabold's things was that he had them training at higher tempos and rates than actual games. So we'd use sort of GPS data, et cetera, and have them training at, tr- have their training at higher rates of that GPS data. So that's where the 110%, et cetera, came from. They absolutely were training better than they were under Wayne Bennett. You know, let's not forget Wayne Bennett ended his tenure as well at the club with an awful loss to the Dragons mm. in week one of the finals. Things weren't great under Bennett. Like, Bennett's last couple of years at the Broncos has been mythologized into something it just wasn't. Bennett is still, to me, the greatest coach in the history of rugby league. Um, and just like Andrew McCulloch had shown until his awful injury, sometimes people need a, a new club. Sometimes people need a freshen up. Um, and I think Wayne Bennett absolutely needed to freshen up. And I absolutely believe that it was the right call to move him on. I thought they could have handled it better. Um, but they, uh, to get back to the original tweet, they were absolutely training better. Um, this year, I'm not so sure if they are. Uh, sometimes I think they do. Other times it looks sloppy. I'm also, mm. as, and as Anthony Seabold's admitted, they have not adapted well to six again. They clearly weren't training the way that a six again rule should have them training. Um, but the players get get flogged. Like on that Saturday Saturday morning, right? Um, I was talking to you off air earlier about how I went there to cover for feeder and get some shots of him. There were players throwing up on the ground. That's how hard they were being worked, and that's the recovery session. Um, yeah, I mean, so, come on. I'm not a, I'm not a sports scientist, but it doesn't sound great in the you know round eleven recovery session. Doesn't sound fantastic to me. Yeah, it may be, but it's there's no doubt to me that they're working harder than they were under Bennett. 
I mean, Benji Marshall famously said he got great at golf under Wayne Bennett up here. Um, mm. So and, and he did not, and he did knock uh, Milford's training ethic up there under under Wayne Bennett, also famously. Yeah, he did. Look, the thing is, I think Wayne, especially in his last year here, um, tried to, I guess, cull the players too much, let them get away with a bit too much because he sensed that time was coming up. You need player support. I just won. I don't know. I haven't asked Wayne Wayne that specific question, but I do wonder um, whether trying to protect himself and and pump up the players and get their support led to him being a bit, I don't know, easy on them because um, they didn't play well that year. They were poor. They were. They um, they had a couple of good wins the back couple of rounds. They beat South and the Roosters in that big win against Manly leading into the finals. But there was times that year, I remember, was it, did we lose to the Titans that year? We did lose to the yeah. Titans. Lost to the Titans and Newcastle in back-to-back weeks in rounds four and five. And that's when I first started to question, like, what's, you know, am, am, I, am I also losing faith in Wayne? And I, haven't, I never lost that faith. And you speak earlier about that mythology of Wayne Bennett. I certainly perpetuate that. But I think I can I can bite the bullet that you said that you know it probably was time or close to time for him to move on. But I, I certainly agree that it may, may have been the time, but the method was wrong. And as we all know from here, any Broncos fan would probably most likely agree that what they've done since almost everything has been wrong. In, yeah, in, you know, in their opinions. Yeah, and look, I probably I won't go that far. I think they've done some mm. right things. Up until recently, they'd re-signed all the players they wanted to re-sign. Fafita's the first one to really say that's actually they've tried and, and hasn't worked out. Um, Andrew McCulloch, they were happy to let go. Josh Maguire, they were happy to let go and things like that. So, And, I mean, the Josh Maguire one, there's so many myths. Like, and, you know, us in the media are very responsible for this. The, the, the amount of time that we have to fill the air with means mm. that we just throw up some stuff that we don't really think about, <laughs> you know. So Josh Maguire's one, like, he, he had a great deal at the Cowboys and he came to the Broncos and said, can you match it because this is a longer-term deal. Um, uh, Matt Gillette had just gotten an extension and uh, he wanted a, a similar extension. The Cowboys had a great deal there and the Bronx didn't want to match it and they said, no, you can take it up. Now, you can argue they shouldn't have. And kept him around, but do you really want an unhappy Josh Maguire around Red Hill? I don't think you do. So, yeah, I, I actually agree that I think a lot of the players that let go was the right decisions. I just don't think the decisions afterwards were the correct ones. Like I've thought for a couple of years now that we're screaming out for a, a senior forward just for a couple of years, and we don't really have any of those right now. And I thought, you know, I'm happy with Moose to go, but I would love to have seen someone senior come in, you know, just to just to tie over the club and, and lead the pack for a couple of years, and you know. Whilst there's, there's oodles of talent in that pack, I still feel like they lack a leader outside of Pangai and Lodge. But Pangai and Lodge aren't on the field every week. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah, They, they need more players between the ages of 25 and 30. They um, do. I don't have it on hand. I probably should. But, you know, it's a very low number. Uh, I think Anthony Milford's one of them. So yeah, that, he's one of the yeah, and what people think about Milford will yeah, they don't think he's a senior player. That's for damn sure, fans. No, don't. no, they don't. And I don't think like, Milford's not in the leadership group this this year. And I think that's because he doesn't want to be in the leadership group. Um, he's not that sort of guy. He's a pretty quiet character, you know. And one of the issues is that there's a lot of quiet characters in this side. Payne Haas is their best player week in week out, but he's a shy, quiet character. Unless Chris Walker is talking crap at one of his mates. You know? <laughs> <laughs> <Bad> fingers, mate. <laughs> that's it. Well, yeah, you mentioned that the, the players over the age of 26 or 26 and over, that's Milford, uh, Glenn, Boyd, Luke and Tio. And as we all know, Luke and Tio only just turned up. So it's a, it was a very young squad and 
and not, not not a lot of younger guys as well. Like I wouldn't say, and you can correct me here if I'm wrong, but I don't think Joe Offengawe, for example, reeks leadership either, and he's one of the older bunch at the club. No, no, and he's more of an outgoing character. But again, I don't, I don't think he's he wants to be to be a leader or seen as a leader. And he's he's a really guy guy who really trains hard, great great fella. Um, but there's not a lot of blokes there. Like I was just I was seeing it on the weekend as I watched Nathan Brown um, rip into Sean Bloor. Why? How could the Broncos need that? How how good would it be if Nathan Brown was a Bronco? You know, like it's one of those ones, though, mate. So if we got a he's a Bronco, then do we? They actually bite the bullet on someone like Carrigan? Yeah, well, again, Carrigan, Carrigan is one. Of, he's a, he's a future captain for real. Like he's legit. Like he's a really strong leader. Um, I still think they, having lost having lost the feeder, I just wonder should they have kept Lodge and Flegler. I wonder if if they needed to make a decision on one of those two, and get a more experienced player because Lodge is older, but he's still an experience. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that how good would it be if they had a a Takiyaho, um, even like, oh, yeah. you know, like someone like that, who's not a super expensive forward, but he's experienced and he's mobile or Nathan Brown or someone like even a, a Hargraves or actually a Herman Assessor would be a great bench forward for Brisbane for the next three years. He would be perfect. And wouldn't cost as much as some of those other blokes we have do. Yeah. Like uh, for instance, I know, I know uh, Lisa Armour was offered to to the Broncos a couple of years ago before he signed with the Warriors. So he'd be perfect as well. Um, you know, he's going to cost you 500k maybe a year, but you know exactly what you're going to get from Lisa Armour week in, week out. It's the exact same thing. And it's good. He's, he's not going to score a lot of tries. He's not going to win your games by himself, but he won't lose your games. 100%, mate. Like we have a lot of those guys now. As you said, you'd pay 500k, you know what you get from Lisa Armour. We paid 500k for a lot of guys. We didn't know what we are going to get. We took a gamble on a lot of them. And I'm with you there that... You know, if you sit down now, if I look at our roster and I go, we've got Haas, Lodge, Flegler, Joe Carrigan. There's only so many middles those minutes, sorry, those middles can play. Can I lose one of those to try and keep a feeder? Like a hundred times out of a hundred, I could happily let one of those players go that's not named Payne Haas just to keep a feeder. Yeah, and look, one of the things to come out of the Fafita, losing Fafita is, um, is talking to Broncos officials the last few days, is that while they're obviously gutted, they wanted to keep a feeder. Mm. Um, there is a silver lining. And, and I do agree. And they're obviously trying to look at the positives, but there are positives. They can now, with Fafita, what they're offering about 800, depends. Some say it was more, some say it was less, but we'll just go with 800 a year. Um, that's enough money to get, say, a 600K senior player or two 400K 25-year-olds to come off the bench. Or you combine that with Jack Bird. I mean, they're going to have to pay a lot of Jack Bird's freight. They're going to have to pay 700K mm. of a million dollars. But say you get that 300k back, that's 1.1. Say even though they'll continually deny it, say if Milford found a new club and they would have to pay a lot of Milford's salary, probably 600k. So that's all of a sudden you've got $1.5 million. And you can buy two very good senior players around that 25 to 30-year-old age group that you do need more than you need for feeder right now. Okay, well, I may as well ask you that now. I was going to jump into the feed a bit more, but you actually touched on that. I don't know if you're allowed to share them with me, but you mentioned a few names to me that, that we might be looking at. Are you able to share those names as, as replacements? Well, no, because I think uh, I'm not really, because it's more just speculation. It's more, okay. just, yeah, it, it's more, one of the things I try not to do is just wildly speculate. <laughs> okay. But yeah, there are, there are some players out there I think they're looking at, but they'll deny it, but, and they're contracted. That's the thing, though. You look at the off. Off, off contract list, 
there's not a lot of off-contract players for 2021, right, that, that really suit Brisbane. Um, I was looking at the other day and I thought Jesse Bromwich was one of them, but I've heard that he's taken up his options. So, like, again, Jesse Bromwich, how good would that be? I don't know how much you'd have to pay for him, but he'd be perfect too. I mean, he's past his best, but he's still very good. Um, the other one was, like, a, a Frank Molo, but I uh, broke the news tonight. He's uh, he's agreed to terms. Um, just uh, toot, your, toot your own horn there, mate. Just broke yeah. that news. Yeah, just <laughs> myself, mate. Couldn't help it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's, he's re-signed with the Cowboys too. So, yeah, that's the issue for me is that when I talk to Broncos officials and they're like, hey, look, this sucks, but let's think about what we can do with this money. Um, and they don't mention names, and I sort of throw names at them. Um, there's not a lot there. There isn't a lot there for 2021. 2022 onwards, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I still think, and it's not going to happen, but they should they should have just thrown the, the bank. They should have thrown Red Hill at Luke Keery. Uh, he'd be perfect for Tom Dearden. Yeah, it would be. Um, I my one of my worst nightmares is um, and I do feel like this is inevitable. But I feel like Anthony Milford will leave the Broncos and go not back to the play we expected. I think that's gone. But go much back closer to the play we expected him to be than what he is now. And my major fear is that you know we swap him for like Jesse Bromwich. We swap the player options next year. He goes down there and he goes to Melbourne and just murders the competition. I don't think I'll sleep if that happens. Yeah, and he could do it too because he's still a hell of a footballer in there. I don't know what's gone wrong with Milf. I don't know. He's, he's a real enigma. He doesn't really talk to the media. He's not rude to us or anything, but he, he just doesn't really want to deal with this, which is, that's fair enough. That's fine. That's his personality. Um, so I don't really know what's happened there, but I agree. He, oh, and look, I, I think if he went somewhere else, I think it would be better for him. Um, uh, I, the Broncos will, will deny it, but I don't doubt for a second that if they could, they would offload him for next year and they would have to pay a significant freight. And I also think, though, that a club, this is what coaches do, right? Coaches love a project. They, yes, they, they do. They're, they're like girls in their early 20s. They, they love a project. They love to work on someone and build them into someone. And um, that's what I can just imagine, say, Trent Barrett at the Bulldogs looking at Milford. Okay, he's got to pay 400 Some say might, might say that's overs. But he would look at that and go, if I turn him into anywhere near what he was in 2015 and 2016, I look like a genius. Yeah, and, and I don't know enough about Milford's personal life, but I just have that basic assumption of it happens often too. Players move away from their family, they're less comfortable, they spend more time on their football than they do for socialising and similar. I have that feeling that if Milford came away from Brisbane again and out of his comfort zone a bit more, he might also apply himself more in his, in his extra time. I don't know if you if you agree with that. No, I probably do agree, yeah. Again, like as I said, Mil- Milford doesn't really open up to anyone. Um, at all so in terms of the media so it's hard to get a read on him but I, I, I my money is on Jack Bird and Anthony Milford not being at the Broncos next year yeah that's um Bird I, I couldn't care less about and I'm happy to pay freight to lose him Milford would, would hurt me but I think most of the Brisbane fans outside of myself and about four others I had enough of him so um but yeah let's go on to the real news we're here for let's talk about the other one that really hurt me this week, uh, <laughs> the Day for Fafita saga. Now, Day for Fafita is a guy I planted my my flag on Fafita Island when he was like 16, 17. I was on this podcast like three years ago, waxing lyrical about him and wondering why the hell are we signing Matt Gillett and Alex Glenn when we have this Fafita kid coming. Anyway, we've got to the point now. I don't think I didn't believe it even until a week ago that he'd actually go to the Titans. He hadn't gone for that money yet, but here we are. I want to ask you firstly, how the hell did this go for so long and how did the Broncos get it so wrong in losing Fafita to the Titans? Um, 
it went for so long because it's very complicated. So Steve Deakin um, is not really Dave Fafita's manager, even though he is technically his manager. There's a guy mm. called Michael Hudson who spotted and signed Dave Fafita as like a 15, 16-year-old or something. Michael Hudson recently, about a year ago, quit um, the company that he was in, the management company that he was in, mm. run by Steve Deakin. I have no idea why. Um, Michael Hudson, I've spoken to him, or I, tr- I did spoke, speak to him briefly, but he didn't want to borrow me, he didn't want to talk to me. So um, I, I don't know what happened there, but basically Fafita has no relationship with Steve Deakin. And like again, I don't know if there was any drama there or what happened. I don't think there was. I think, I think it's more that Fafita just didn't have a relationship with him. Mm. So he didn't really have a manager, and that made things very difficult for him um, and his mum as well, Gwen, who's essentially acting as a manager without, you know, she doesn't know, does she? She's not She's not a manager, but under the NRL rules, a family member can act as a manager. So that's really why it took so long. So it was all very complicated trying to work out, okay, do I sign this? Because there's been all sorts of deals offered. Like South offered a five-year mega deal. Do I sign the five-year mega deal and have to pay Steve Dick and a guy I've had nothing to do with um, 6.5% over the next five years? Um, do I like all these deals come and come and go? The the Bulldogs had a massive deal. The Bulldogs thought they were a real chance until about two weeks ago. Do I sign that? Or then it became, as I reported um, a while ago, just another plug for me. Um, <laughs> year deal. Man, you're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> the um, the one year deal then was the most realistic option. That's sort of what him and Gwen came to is that let's do a one year deal. Um, obviously clubs don't want to do that. So then it took a while for clubs to reassess, do we want to do it? Do we not want to do it? The Titans were like, absolutely, yes, we will pay you a gazillion dollars even for one year. And then the Broncos were like, okay, geez, we're going to have to actually enter into this one year thing. So, yeah, it, it's been complicated. There's The Broncos, in terms of the length of the deal, there's nothing they could have done. There's nothing in terms of letting it drag on. And it did drag on. But I don't, I don't see how they couldn't have made it happen any simpler or easier or quicker ultimately the times and i'll tell you this the broncos the entire time they were telling me because i was always pretty convinced he would stay until about two weeks ago and they were telling Mm. me like the last nine months they're like look this could go anywhere they're saying i know you're confident chris but this could go anywhere they were always a little bit cautious because it's a situation none of them had been involved with and He's a 20-year-old kid, like, you know, it's going to take him time and who knows what he wants to do. He was backflipping a lot. And ultimately, that money is just too good to ignore. And also, he's getting down there to play with his mates, Tino, Tanner Boyd, Mo. They're all his mates. Like, he's tight as with them, you know. And that was a big draw card. And Mal, and Mal and Justin Holbrook were really sold in. Um, I know for a fact that he's become quite close with Mal. He really respects him. Um, Gordon Tell's got a bit of, bit of um, attention over the weekend, but it's Mal. It's Mal and Justin. Like, Justin really sold him. Mal really sold him. He formed quite a close bond with them over the last six weeks. And yes, it's the money, but he does see a real future of playing in the finals with his best mates in school. Yeah, I did laugh at the Gordon Tallis one, mate. It, it wasn't the money. It wasn't Mal. Actually, it was that one phone call with Gordon Tallis. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's just a beat up. That's just a beat up yarn. I mean, Gordy's Gordy's good bloke. He wouldn't have wanted wanted to come up like that. But no, yeah. he wouldn't. I mean, I've, I've got to give credit to Mal because I've got to I've got to be honest. I was a bit skeptical. I'm like, Mal, you need a win here, mate. You know, like he needs a win, and he's got one. He's got a big one. This was the one player they wanted to get. This is the one player the Broncos didn't want to lose. Any thought of the Broncos trying to not, like, working hard enough and not doing enough? They work really hard. 
what about them in Bali? People forget that. They use it against the Broncos, but then also forget, like, they got him out of Bali. It was like Escape from New York, but Escape from Bali. You know, lock him back up there, mate. If you want to <laughs> send him back over. They sent like an emissary over there in Adam Walsh to get him out. You know, so yeah, they they tried really hard, but ultimately the Titans made a very good pitch, and I've got to say they did really well in not having much information come out um, from their side either. So mm. yeah, they played it really well, and and, and credit to them. And, it, and I think it's good for rugby league. I know Broncos fans would hurt, but it's it's just good for league that we're going to have a Titans team that maybe people can start to care about. Yeah, and uh, I know it is your job to spring those leaks, but the Broncos ship is very leaky this year. I feel I feel everything we do is in is in the media every week, and that's just not the most conducive environment to effective player negotiations. No, it's not. You're right, and that's that's the result of losing. Though people start to talk because people get frustrated and start looking after themselves and not the team because they're worried about their job or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and also, the Broncos have, you know, they have a lot of old boys that. Like, who are the Cowboys old boys? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, like who are the Titans old boys? They've got a lot of old boys that had incredible success. And I work with a couple of them in, in Gilly and, and Webby. And they're probably two of the more restrained ones who, who uh, they take their shots, but they're not like um, Chris Johnson, guys like that, who are, who are just genuinely frustrated and upset. And you know what? Chris Johnson makes a call to the Broncos. He'll find some stuff out. Whoever it is makes a call to the Broncos. That's an old boy like that. People will whinge and bitch, and it'll all come out. Yeah, that's it. Um, and so I know the money was big, but like I just truly don't believe the money is the only factor. Like, no, it's not. It's not the only factor. It, it has to. Like, yeah, I'm just confirming my bias here. The losing hasn't helped, right? No, absolutely not. If this team's flying and everyone's happy, it's sort of like um, so. Trevor Gilmister, who I work with, is, is I consider him a mate. He's um, famously doesn't Wayne Bennett, you know, basically punted Gilly. He just tapped him on the shoulder, just like he did Wayne uh, Wally Lewis, right? Mm. But I dug up this old photo the other day of of Gilly with his arm wrapped around. He doesn't dislike Wayne, but they don't get on either. And um, I, I dug up this old photo of uh, Gilly with his arm around Wayne. They were hugging and embracing. And I sent it to Gilly and I said, ha, 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 happy times. And he, and he replied, amazing what winning can do. And that's right. Like winning, you don't think about any of that negative. If they're winning, why is he thinking about leaving? He wouldn't even be thinking about it. But all the losing has absolutely not helped. But you've got to give credit to Times as well. They got Tino. Tino's a big thing, man. Like Tino, Mo, they're two of his good mates, like. So that, that's, a, that's a big attraction. Justin Holbrook, I don't really know him. I've spoken to him like twice, but I only hear good things. He's uh, unlike Garth Brennan, like who, when you speak to people mm, about oh Garth, God. You, you heard a lot of negative things. You speak to player managers. You speak to officials from other clubs. You speak to players. Uh, Tavita Pangai today in an interview randomly wrapped the Titans and their coaching staff <laughs> and how good how, how good they're developing down there. You know what oh I mean? Oh, God, like, that's not good. <laughs> don't tell me that, Chris. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I, I, it's definitely not the money. The money's the money's certainly a part of it, a big part of it. If it was equal footing, I think he would have probably stayed with the Bronx. He's a 20-year-old kid with a big family who's never known. No one in that family is knowing money like this. It's it's 800K versus 1.1 something a year for three years. That's It's a lot. Yeah, it is. And then the the winning, the influence. I know people always say that, oh, the Broncos, the people stay at the Broncos for less, but they don't stay for less. They stay for less money, but they stay for more on the field. And, and, and the, the playing, for, I know it sounds wanky as a Brisbane fan, but playing for Brisbane usually means something because you play in front of those big crowds and you play on the big games, all that kind of stuff. But 
we haven't had any of that draw the last year or two. It does it doesn't help us keep players like this anymore. It just no, doesn't. And that's a great point you just made about staying for less when it's actually less money, not less. You know, Brisbane has always made life very comfortable for their players, you know, on and off the field. And I'm not alleging yeah. salary cap uh, dramas here, but I just mean in general, they find ways um, to make life comfortable. Um, and winning and playing in front of big big crowds and having a media that's that wants to see you succeed and when you are winning, the media's all behind you. Um, I, I'm, for instance, I'm sure us, like us in the media, handing the Broncos all the time probably hasn't helped either. Like it's Dave's yeah. around going, when we're losing, this sucks, you know, and it, it would suck. And I feel for the players, like, I don't, I don't want to be handing them either. It's just, you got to feed the beast. And at the moment, everyone wants to know every move of the Broncos. It's been incredible. I'll, I'll write some tweet about Herbie Farnworth switching centre positions to wing and it'll have an enormous response. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's, um, it's quite incredible. So, yeah. And the other thing is, though, and look, again, I, I, don't, I don't think that people will... People will lie and deny it, but credit to Danny Wadler. When Danny Wadler broke the tweet, broke the yarn, and well, had tweeted about the backflip, I know Dave Fafita was upset about whoever leaked that info. Mm. Again, credit to Danny, good, good scoop, good yarn. But I do know that Dave was upset about that, and that's why for about two weeks it went quiet. It went quiet. He was really frustrated that that stuff got out because it it did make him look like an idiot. So I understand. It definitely that. made him look stupid. Yeah, so I understand why he was upset about that. I don't know who leaked it. I don't know how Danny gets it. I don't know Danny, so I don't have any idea about that. But I do know that that frustrated him, and I think that was the start of the end. Yeah, interesting you raise that, because, again, that's another fact that it isn't dollars, because he did already turn down the dollars at one point. I think we've forgotten the part where he agreed to backflip, but I guess somebody at Brisbane hasn't uh, waited for the ink to dry or even the pen to hit paper before they started bragging about keeping for feeder at the club, and... You know, that might be something that I'm not saying it's what made him flip back to the Titans, but at least it's what made him hesitate a little. And that might be the thing that, you know, has us ruining losing for feet for the next 15 years. One person not shutting their mouth. Yeah, it was definitely it was definitely a part of it. And, and that's the thing, like yeah. anything, there's multiple parts. But on Friday, I, I knew Fafita was gone on Friday. So I did the tweet about the three-year New Deal and Titans in the box seat, but I knew he was gone. But the Titans were... They were very cautious. Even then, they were like, I'm telling you, he's not done here. I'm like, I'm telling you, he is. And he <laughs> hadn't formally notified them until he told his teammates on the Saturday morning. So that was when they actually breathed a sigh of relief and said, oh, actually, that's how nervous they were of him backflipping again. Like, that's yeah. when they actually said, oh, okay, he's told his teammates it's, it's going to happen. They had a fair indication on Friday it was going to happen, but they were still nervous it wouldn't. Yeah, is that why the players are vomiting at training, mate? Because I had that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Like, um, it was funny. Corey Oates actually gave me a bit of stick today at training because he said, oh, well, that, the team meeting was on and then all of a sudden you're tweeting about it. So who's the leak? But it wasn't, um, it wasn't actually a player, player who leaked it. It's, it's, just, it's just the way it is. As soon as you tell your teammates, they talk to people who talk to people and suddenly you're here. That's it, mate. And um, how was the energy then at Saturday after that? Did you speak to players about Fafita's departure? Well, yeah, Tavita and um, Tom Dearden were up for an interview today, um, and Tavita couldn't help but have a, have a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a. He just can't help himself. He he just said, "Look, one point two million is a lot of money," um, 
uh, Tom, Tom, of course, he doesn't. He can't really say much. Tommy, he's just trying to do his best and get away without not doing media without getting in trouble. But yeah, um, yeah, I, I think the general feeling is they support him. Like I said to you, Tavita was like, "Look, they're doing something. They're building well down there. They're doing good things." So they support him. They understand. There's no, there's no thought of a Justin Hodges happening and them banning Fafita from playing for him. Um, there's no I need to win. That's why. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. They need to win. Oh, I think he will play this week. He looked very good. Looked very sharp at training. It was funny. We were watching him training, just going, "Wow, look at this! Look at what they've lost!" Like he just. I don't want him back because of that. That's why I don't want to see him play again. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there's no thought. They all support and they understand. And, and I think, I think the club. Well, I guess as a Broncos fan, what do you think about the club? People, there's been some talk out there that actually they offered they offered close to a million for him in the end. I don't think they did. I think it was pretty close to 800k. I think they offered their offer from about 700 to around 800. As a Broncos fan, would you have liked them to match the 1.1 something million a year offer at the Tigers? I'm going to be one of the rare people that says we should have got as close to that money as we could have, like one, over a million or not. I I, I can't stomach. This people, you know, people saying, "Oh, but edge forwards aren't worth this," or "Edge forwards have never been paid this before," and all that kind of business. Because he's unlike any other edge forward of the last ten years, and he's one of those players. A day for feeder, a player like him, a back rower who can be invisible for seventy-five minutes, then win you a game from your own thirty. He's the one player in the competition like that. That's it's just him. He might be the one rugby player in the world like that. That he can be a forward and do those things and. He's now going to play for another club. And, you know, even though I like thinking I'm a smart footy fan, we don't watch rugby league for the salary cap and roster construction. We watch it for the entertainment on the field. And when we lost James Roberts, that really stung me because no matter what happened to Jimmy DeJet, he brought me a lot of joy in the field as a Broncos fan. And Dave Fafita does that now. He's a pure entertainment player when he's on that pitch. He's, anytime he gets the ball, I'm excited. You know, he can run across field like a back row with the ball in two hands and step and goose step and things can happen. He can crack games open like he did this year against the Cowboys. And we lost him and kept a lot of other young players, but a lot of just good ones, not many great ones, if you ask me. Yeah, and that and you make a good point. And that exact point you've made is why the Titans say they paid overs because they want those intangibles to be the joy of their fans and to attract new fans. They, they want all the hype. They want the Fafita show. Um, and they're willing to pay that extra 300k a year for the Fafita show, even if on the field his results reflect a 700k a year player. You know what I mean? So, yeah. I, look, personally, I think the Broncos did the right thing. I think they could have won more games this year, and that would have helped yeah. them stay. Um, I think they could have managed the process perhaps a bit better in the last three weeks. Um but, you know, I, I know Paul White will still speak to him regularly. I know Paul White's been a big help to him lately, especially because Dave was struggling like mentally. He really was um, with the decision. It, it was huge for him and, and it really was weighing him down and he was emotional when he told his teammates. But I still think the Broncos did the right thing in, in uh, limiting their offer. Um, I just think for a player like that, you need – he's not a high work rate player. He might become one, but he's he is not a, one. Yeah. Um, he's not like people compare him to Sam Burgess or Sonny Bill, but he doesn't have the hands of Sonny Bill and doesn't have the work rate of Sam Burgess, but he's more athletic than both and can break a line mm. better than either. So, um, yeah, I, I just think that sort of money, again, is, is your Luke Carey's. It's, it's those sort of guys to me. It's, it's you know, yeah, it's, it's your middle players. Yeah, if, if it was different horses at Brisbane now, I'd probably agree with you as well. But because there's so many players that I don't think it's worth the money we're playing them, that's why it's hard for me to swallow. 
you know, when we've lost, you know, we have lost good players in the past. People are acting like this is the first time we lost good players, but we did have a period there when we lost Inglis. Well, we didn't get him and Hunt, Kamaka Hunt and Israel Folau in the same space of two years. And the one that really stung me out of those was Hunt. It wasn't Folau, even though Folau was a great try scorer, because I thought Hunt was everything. And after we lost him and we lost all the others, there was not that much left at that club for mine that would lead the team forward. And now for me, I thought we had two can't-lose players in this bunch of 30. And I thought they were Payne Haas and Dave Fafita, and we've lost one of them. And now I sit here thinking, oh, well, I guess we've still got, you know, Carrigan and Lodge and Flegler and Joe O and, you know, and a couple of decent guys like Herbie and Tessie and whatever. But not any one of those guys gets me anywhere close to as excited as Fafita does. It just doesn't happen for me. Yeah, no. And, uh, yeah, I totally agree. But, you know, it's funny. I think about Falau and all that, that time. Geez, they rebounded out of that well into 2011 to make the uh, to prelim, yeah. Like, that was pretty amazing. But that, that all that happened, remember, that was when Greg Inglis signed and then backflipped as well all that time, yeah. that period. That was a really bad period. I wrote on the weekend that this was their lowest ebb, the Broncos, but that may have been lower, the Ivan Hendrak era. Yeah. I think this is our lowest ebb just because the results, we, we're losing like an under-20s team. We're not just losing. When we lose, we lose by you know 30 or 40 points poorly now. It just feels lower because of that, purely the optics of it for me. Yeah, but, um, yeah. It, it probably is. Um it's certainly in the bottom two, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Like, the thing is, it just it just sucks to cover because most of the guys there are really good guys. Vast, pretty much all of them are. And, and you're just like, oh, man, really? I've got to bag these guys again. You know what I mean? It's just – and for you fans, it would suck too because you sit down and watch footy and you knew against Melbourne, even when you started well, we all knew it wasn't going to end well. Yeah, 100%. It was going to be 40 points just to matter when they got to 40. So yeah, frustrating it, to watch just the inability to defend multiple sets. It is. And um, it does remind me that Fafita losing Hunt. And I know Fafita, sorry, sorry, compared to losing Hunt, I know Fafita hasn't said anything yet, but Carmichael said, like, when he left, he thought he was a Bronco boy for life. And, like, you know, just, just that wasn't the club he thought he was at anymore. You know, when he, when he had a meeting with Henjack and walked out and we were doing their offer and he left. Like, I had that feeling with Fafita because that kind of, you know, a year ago, six months ago, him and his mum were both saying he'll never leave the Broncos. Yeah, yeah, they and did. Here it is. They did even um, two weeks ago. They said, um, you know, uh, that I think it was like two or three weeks ago. It was still the same. Like, no, we're not leaving. Um, so, I mean, I think there's more to tell, and I, I don't think Dave will tell it anytime soon. But I think there's some things that that I don't know about that have probably happened in the background that probably even the Broncos don't know about. Um, <laughs> you know, that have happened. Like I do, I do think Dave's the sort of guy that would tell, that would say to the Broncos, "I want to stay," and then go to the Times and say, "Oh, geez, I'm thinking about coming." You know what I mean? Like I think he's yeah, he yeah, get, yeah. please everyone. You know, he's probably so that's maybe where some of that has come out that he wanted to, he wouldn't have wanted to hurt anyone at all. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, and do you believe that it might be a combination of all things? But do you believe that Fafita departure from Brisbane is a fork in the road for? Not just Anthony Seabold, but also for some of those higher up guys like a um, like a Peter Nolan, like a uh, Darren Lockyer, like a Paul White. In terms of it, might define the the conclusion of a tenure at the club. Well, uh, what Paul White's definitely going um, yeah, at the end of the year. Um, Seabold just needs to win. Uh, you know, the five game thing was a bit that's doesn't that's not quite right. There's some truth in there. In that they've made it clear to Seabold, you've got to turn it around. Otherwise, 
you know, we're going to have a really good look at this and see what to do next. And they basically said that when the um, last week when they announced the performance review. Um, mm. Pete Nolan, I'm not quite sure about. Um, obviously, I get on well with Pete. He, he, I consider him a mate. He, he gets on. I get on well with him. Um, obviously, there's this list. Like we all know, it's not what it should be. As I said, the lack mm. of 25 to 30 year olds. But I've got to say, until until this year, I thought they'd done pretty well. It's interesting, isn't it? Like I've got to I've got to admit, I thought it was a good list until I've realised that it isn't. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean, mate. It, this distribution of funds is just wrong. It's imbalanced. Yeah, and it, last year we, there was a bit of talk. Um, um, Joel Gould from NRL.com was the first to really actually write about the lack of twenty-five to thirty-year-olds, and he also was the first to write about um, the the too much investment in the forwards. Um, but the thing is, mate, there's two and a half million, two point six million dollars tied up in Anthony Milford, Jack Byrne, and Darius Boyd. Um, yeah, that's the imbalance problem, mate. That one, only one of those is a key position player who's on the field regularly. Yeah, and, then, yeah. and Jack Bird's been a disaster through all sorts of reasons, um, mainly just bad luck. But he did come to the club injured too, so there's a bit of depends on who you talk to about that. Like he came to the club with an injury that no one realised was as bad as it was. Um, I don't think Jack even realised the sternum problem he had was debilitating. Um, uh, when they signed him, because they were looking hard at Mitch Moses, like they were very close to going all out for Mitch Moses on a 850, 900k a year deal. That was the other option. Um, mm. Whether Mitch signed that and came here, I don't know. But he, uh, that was the sort of talk. It was, do we go for Mitch or do we go for Jack? And they went for Jack and got him. And I thought at the time that Jack Bird playing lock forward for the Broncos would be fantastic. Um, it just hasn't worked out at all, and we signed. We have other, sorry, a million other forwards now. So Bird's not even close to being in the pack. No, well, it was that preseason. So he came up here, and that preseason, when they realised just how bad the sternum injury was, they quickly realised there's no way he's ever defending in the middle. Um, yeah. So that's unfortunate because it wasn't like they signed him like you're definitely our lock. They signed him thinking he could be our lock or. Maybe he lights a, lights a fire under a, a MILF or someone like that and moves to 5'8". Maybe he's a fullback if we can, you know. But he was a bloody good footballer. People forget he was an excellent footballer. Yeah, he's only playing 17 games for us, so that's that's why they forget. It's been, what, since 2017, 17 football games and all different kinds of injuries doesn't help. But No, and you know, it, I think... a true footballer, like a real throwback. He does remind me a lot of Victor Radley. I thought he could have, he could have become a Victor Radley-type lock if he didn't have those injuries. Um, and a great character to have around too, um, just full of life. And he's, he's, he's that sort of guy that they've needed. It's, it's been one of the things as well with Isaac Luke coming, a guy who's full of life and upbeat. That They didn't have a lot of those sort of guys, so you need them. Yeah, I love Isaac Luke, by the way. Just a bit too late. I, just love, I love his energy. And it would have been good if we were winning because he is quite a guy who carries a lot of swagger on the field when his team's on top. He's been all right. Any of that. He's been pretty, pretty good. So do I. So do I. And um, as for Bird... As you said, talented footballer, but I couldn't care less if I ever saw him again in a in a Broncos jersey. You know? Good <laughs> I, luck I to him. I, I think he wants to go back down to Sydney, um, and the Bronx will make it work. But geez, they're going to have to pay a lot of that wage next year. Um, and yeah, that, that's one of the other things, mate. Is the player options? You know, again, I really like Pete Nolan. I think he's he's done a really good job. Um, ultimately, except I've realised the past six months that there's been some bad decisions made, and it doesn't all come back down to him. Just like people say, um, including myself, about Wayne, like Wayne made some bad decisions, but they're not just Wayne's. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there is a recruitment t- retention committee there. So it's multiple people's fault, but 
ultimately this list isn't what it should be. That's that's the thing. And if they continue losing like this, there's going to be there's going to be people lose their jobs. It's that simple. Well, that's it, mate. The player options is something we've spoken about in this podcast before. How like I understand they're they're not a bad chip to have it for some players. Say you're recruiting a big name or similar, and the only way they'll come is some options. I get that, but it's not great. You look down a list and like seven players have player options. You know, you know, and even guys. No offense to Jake Turpin, you know, a good a, a good try on the field, and a pretty decent young hooker, but he's not the quality of player I'd be giving a player option to myself if I ran a football club, for example. Yeah, yeah, and look, I've addressed this with uh, multiple Broncos officials, and they say it's hard to do deals now without them. That's the reality. Um, team options just don't exist. You just don't see them anymore at all. Any club. Um, yeah. So, and the other thing is that without the ratchet clauses that you used to, like now it's very hard to get a ratchet clause cleared with the NRL. So that was one thing they used to use. And now the managers use player options as um, their sort of wriggle room. Um, But there's way too many. There's way too many at the club. There has been. Jack Bird shouldn't have had a player option. Um, Milford shouldn't have had a player option. But having said that, you know, Melbourne, I'll tell you, Melbourne did well with Mill. They just drove up his price. I'm not sure if they ever seriously wanted him, but, geez, they did well to drive up his price. They did. And I think when you have player options on guys on those wages as well, it's really hard to effectively plan your your roster construction as well, right? Yeah, that's it. I mean, yeah, it's tough. And like I say, I generally thought until I'd say about, what was it, first week of September when they got busted by Parramatta last year, I thought thought the list was building nicely. I thought, I mean, I think people have dug out old tweets where I've said this is the best young forward pack in the comp. I really thought it was. They were keeping everyone. I agreed. You know? The pack was doing quite well in a lot of those games. And I agreed with you on that, but I, I had issues of the distribution of funds. Like, you know, there, there was guys in the back line not exactly earning their cash. And then you have guys like Jordan Carr who are coming back with that poor negotiation, the McCulloch deal that might still come back next year, who knows, and then going and signing, you know, Brody Croft. And everyone knows what I think about Brody Croft. Just That's when I started I was just really losing some faith in the direction of where we're going to go the next year or two. Like, it's all well and good having an amazing young forward pack, but, you know, you, what, what's surrounding it was, was my issue. Yeah, and, and that's, that's, that's fair too. They're, they're, that's legitimate, fair issues. Um, there's a lot of problems uh, at the club, but I still don't think that this team, the way it's constructed, um, should ever be losing like this, you know. Yeah, well, you did mention earlier, and you've been around that club, you, you do know... Well, you have the ability that a lot of fans own. You get to see them at training and after training as well. You get to see how the guys interact. Then there's, sorry, a genuine lack of leadership. Like we all see it on the field, but you do believe there's lack of leadership in that playing group. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I sort of alluded to it already a couple of times. There's a lot of sort of introverted, shy characters, I think. Um, there's there's just a lack of leadership. And I mean, Seabold's alluded to it himself. He said they went on this... Um, Tasmanian wilderness trip up one of those mountains, which I forget what it's called. What's the big one in Tassie that you go up? Anyway, it was like an overnight hike with a leadership group. Um, and they, they've done some other things, getting Lockyer in to talk to the leadership group because they recognise there aren't genuine leaders here. Matt Lodge is the real leader. Um, he can't be captain for obvious reasons. Mm. He never will be. Um, I do think that Seba wanted him to be captain, but it was never going to get approved. Uh, the, the team would like him to be captain. I think his teammates... Would like him to be captain. We all saw, remember earlier this year after, I think it was the Roosters' loss or one of them, where Lodge fronted the press and he just yeah. tore his own team apart. That's why Lodge is the 
realistic captain if he could be, but he isn't. And Alex Len is also a great leader. He's a great captain, a great leader, but he's not a bark in your face um, sort of leader that they need. Like it sort of was pointed out. I think it might have been Kenty pointed out the difference, or Ben Eichen about Jake Trevojevic in the Manly Sheds a couple of weeks ago. They don't have those sort of characters to get in players' faces and GM up and rev them up. You see it in under the goal line, like under the goalpost after tries. It's, they're just sort we of... have none of those players, not yeah. one on the field. Um, I think, and you know, when Darius was captain, he wasn't that type either. Um, but yeah, so there is there is a lack of leadership. There, there, there are a lot of shy players. Payne Haas is a shy sort of character. Um, you know, he, he he's <laughs> he's not a, he's not a big voice sort of guy. He just wants to get through his work. So that is that is an issue too. And Brody Croft was brought up here, not necessarily to be a, a big leader, but he was brought up here for his for his talk. Um, which he which he can do, but it's hard when you're losing too. All that stuff drops away, doesn't it? Like same with Tessie Mui. I hear him at training, and he's barking orders, he's yelling and screaming at players, and then you don't that doesn't really come across in the game. So yeah, it's tough. And let's not forget that there's a horrific injury toll. Again, there's no way this team should be losing anything like this. But considering yeah. their injury toll, I don't think they were ever going to make the eight. But they probably should be finishing around that nine, ten, eleven spot, whereas they're going to be around that fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, what you mentioned there as well with um, the guys when they're losing and not barking orders, that's a bit of the inexperienced stuff. And it's, it's why I think, as you said, Paddy Carrigan, haven't heard, having heard him speak off the field, a very well-spoken man and does sound like a natural leader. And that's, I do feel that he's potentially a long-term captain for the club or you know at least a vice-captain or similar. But when you're still finding your feet in first grade and, and you're still struggling with the you know, results and finding your feet as, as a footballer, it goes away. All of it goes away. Like Brody Croft and, and Tessie, those guys, you can't expect them to step up when they've played, a, you know, only a handful of years for Croft or a handful of games for Tessie, step up behind the post and bark orders when they have no idea what the hell's happening in front of them. Yeah, absolutely right. Like, what are they meant to say? They haven't been in this spot before. Um, no. And, you know, I hear, I hear Paddy Garrigan is one of the, he is one of the good talkers at training. He, and he swear, I've heard him call teammates, you know, swear words, etc. So, he he will get on his on rival players' cases, but how old's he? Twenty two, you know. Yeah, like, <laughs> it shouldn't happen. He shouldn't have to. Um, so, and they shouldn't be expediting leadership. It just it comes naturally. Remember when um one of the great stories of that Roosters grand final when when Cooper Cronk was busted was that mm. that week they were in the team meeting and um, Trent Robinson basically told them guys Cooper Cronk's unlikely to play. Luke Keery stood up and just said, I don't give a effing whatever. I will do it without him. We will do it without him. I'm going to make sure that his absence doesn't impact us at all. Get behind me. Like, who who, in, who at the Broncos would ever deliver someone like that? Not one of them, mate. Not even close to one of them. Yeah. And that's the difference. And that will come with age. Luke Keery has had a face-to-face stash with Russell Crowe on a bonding camp. You know, like, <laughs> he's been through a lot. He's won premierships before. He's been through it all. He has, and he's going to re-sign, apparently, at the Chooks, so he ain't going to be that one replacing uh, the no, salary missing from Peter. I, I want him to be the uh, inaugural captain of the Western Corridor NRL team, mate, but that's not going to happen either, so. So do I, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know how likely that bit is. That'll all change in the future, but, uh, yeah, he's re-signing past that anyway. Um, I'll let you go in a moment. But I want to give you one last question before I let you go, Chris, and thanks for coming on again, but... Just want to talk quickly about um, the rumours of Ben Eichen as a CEO. Do you firstly place any credence on those and also any thoughts on his potential appointment? 
Yeah, I think he'll. I think he's probably. I'd have him about dollar sixty favorite ish. Yeah, if I was framing a market, he's the heavy favorite. Um, they yeah. they need they need more of a football. Excuse me, more of a fo- football now sort of guy than a business guy. Um, Paul White's done sensationally well with that business side of it. You can argue that he has it with the football side, but he has with the business. So coming in to replace him, you need someone that can help with the football side, and that's Ben Eichen. Um, I would. There's a recruitment firm doing a thorough search process. They might turn up someone totally different and recommend them. But yeah, I think I think uh, Ben Eichen, if he generally wants it, which I believe he does, and I haven't spoken to him about it, um, I think it's it's his to lose. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think the same as well, mate. I think it's time for some football now. And uh, Eichen has also had the balls to call out a lot of the things we've spoken about on this podcast as issues at the Broncos this year, which, you know, puts a bit of faith in that. If he's already said those things now, they know what his thoughts are of that place. So if he's coming in, they, they're ready for, for what he wants to change. So what, are, what do you think? What, what would change is if you were CEO tomorrow, what would you do? Mate, the first thing I'd do is stop signing so many players that go from one player agent let alone yeah. Isaac Moses. Like, they're doing you can't that. have they're one. Dwindling that, dwindling that down. Yeah, you can't have one agent, no matter who it is, controlling so much of your playing group. Because if you upset him on, on one side, he could threaten to pull players out on the other side, you know. Um, but the first thing I'd be doing is replacing the head coach after that. I can't do anything about people above me. So head coach replacement. Unfortunately, I don't. I don't love the head coach market right now. I think the good candidates went last year. I wanted Adam O'Brien. But he's he's got his job, but head coach would be the first thing you'd want to do, and you want a head coach that has similar beliefs as you do, so you can you know mark your tender as a CEO, so tenure as a CEO with that head coach, and then yeah, I need a leader or two, maybe three. <laughs> um, they're not great, as you said. Kiri is a great example on the market. Again, the market is very dry, but we need a leader in the halves. But the other player I'd really be chasing, I'd be throwing everything I have at him left over, is I'm going after Harry Grant. I don't care what the Storm say. I'm getting in his ear. I want Harry Grant. I'm not missing out on – we've missed Cam Smith for 15 years. I'm not missing out on the next Queensland hooker for the next 10 years. I want Harry Grant at Brisbane, and he's going to be the other guy to steer us around. Yeah, and I think if Cam goes around again, I don't think he goes to the Storm. I know Harry's come out and said he's going to the Storm regardless, but I don't think that happens. So – I agree. Harry Grant is great. How good was he the other night, even in a losing team? He's got to be the starting Queensland hooker, by the way. Unfortunately for Jake Friend, it just doesn't work out. He's got to be. Um, Grant's better than him already. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I think Jake Friend of a couple of years ago would would have been, but no, it's got to be Harry, and I'd I'd have probably Ben Hunt on the bench. But um, yeah, no, I agree with a lot of what he said. I mean, I still, as I said, I still have a lot of faith in Seabold. I mean, I still think he's a good coach in there. Um, I really do, and I just think... You look at Brad Arthur and Parramatta as a good example. Um, as I said, I think he's got to start winning or at least performing really well if he's going to keep his job at the season's end. And they are going to wait till the season's end. But I still think there's a good coach there. Um, he was Dalian coach of the year before he came up here. He did really well with that South. It's just a wrong mix. He's, he needed a more experienced side up here. It's sort of like the opposite of the problem Paul Green had. Um, well, actually, it's the exact same problem Paul Green had, I should say, is that he also had a young team the last couple of years. Um, and he's much better with senior players. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I think if, if they keep losing, there's going to be mass change. It's that simple. If Ben, if ben Eichen comes up here, he's going to make changes. Every CEO does. It's like when a club gets a new CEO or gets a new chairman, you know there's going to be a big change. Everyone wants to stamp their mark. Everyone wants to leave a footprint immediately and shape the club in their ways. So whoever replaces Paul White, well, look what Paul White did. He came in and sacked Henjack straight away. So mm. 
yeah, there's going to be massive change unless they can turn it around. And I still think when they get some players back, they can string some wins together. Um, but geez, it's been a frustrating season. It's been terrible, really. It's been awful. Like I'm just so I can't wait for Origin so I can just <laughs> move on to something else. Yeah, Queensland Rugby League in general not had a great year, and, and the best news for one of the clubs is the worst news for another one of them. So that hasn't helped either. Yeah, and I do feel really good for those guys down the Titans. Like I get on well with Dennis Watt, who's who was at the Broncos, um, and um, it, you know blokes like that who are just through and through rugby league people. And Justin Holbrook, like I say, he seems like a ripper fella. Just really happy for him and that they've got someone now they can build a side around. I, I don't know if they're top eight next year, even with Fafita, though. They'll be on the fringe, I think. I don't think so either. Once you look through their entire squad, there's still some turn to, to put through that squad. Turn some of those guys over. Like, you know, they still don't know who their hooker is. They're still missing another edge back rower. Oh, Kevin Proctor's still there, I guess. But the rest of the back line isn't crash hot. They do have a better young pack than us now. That happened quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hook is the big one. Like, they do need a good hook. I think Aaron Clark can be a really good number not, uh, 14. Um, he's a good solid yeah. player. I think Fogarty's a good halfback to build in the future. Um, uh, yeah, Kelly's good in the back line. Uh, I think Proct- I'm pretty sure Proctor's off at the end of this year. Um, I'm not sure yeah. what they're doing with him, but uh, I would suggest that they would want to keep him if they can cut his salary down. Uh, Cartwright. Yeah. Cartwright. He, he's he's going to try and stay in Sydney. Um, you know, he's got personal stuff down there. So he, he wants to stay down there. So they will have some cash spare, but he, it'll be like Shannon Boyd with Card, right? There'll, there'll be like a, a payout. I, I'm not sure how much of that would count towards the salary cap. But I'd, I'd say there'll be somewhere around sort of like what the Tigers are this year. Have some great wins where everyone goes, wow, this team could be something. And then the next week they lose. Yeah, I agree with that. But at least, you know, they have been that pack and they were locked down for, for quite some time will, will help them attract some, some future talent and maybe some playmakers as well. Yeah. Don't know I, what they're planning with Ash Taylor. Well, I, he's there next year. Um, mm. And again, I just I hope for Ash's sake that he gets to play behind that pack, that he does stick around. And he's, he's shown some glimpses this year. He's still nothing. You know, he's another guy. Jesus can turn quickly. Um, a couple of years ago, he was he was set to play State of Origin. He was killing. You'd know, like he was leading all the uh, try assist stuff. He was brainy. Mm. He was like unbelievably ahead, even though the times were losing. He was just absolutely killing it. The first half, I think it was twenty eighteen. The first half of twenty eighteen, and then it's he he didn't get picked for Origin. He was going to get picked for Origin. I killed his year. Yeah, and he just went into a shell, and he was a completely different player. He's sort of recovered a little bit, maybe 20% of that player. But, yeah, I hope for his sake he gets to, to play behind that, that pack. And, and I really think next year the Bronx, they're going to have some money to play with. I, I, I still believe they'll probably have about $1.5 million in their cap with Bird Milford going um, if they can find homes for them um, and if they want to leave. I think Bird wants to leave. I'm not sure about Milford. Mm. But I still think if someone came to the Bronx with an offer for Milford, they'd accept it. So they'll have some money to play with. Blake Green, is he the answer? Uh, there's a fair bit of rumour out there about him. I don't know. Really uh, I just uh, Blake Green was the answer for me like three years ago. It yeah. feels like the wrong time for Blake Green now, but I guess if that's what you can get, they're looking for a leader in the halves. I mean, Tom Dearden and Blake Green together, is, that's a pretty good partnership, isn't it? It makes a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, the other thing with Croft is, like, um, I sort of understood the logic behind having him here this year. I did not understand the logic of telling him straight up, you're in the leadership oh, group and you're me. a halfback. Yeah. I, I thought him and Dearden should have had to fight it out over the preseason. Um, and, you know, like the Tigers have done. And th- this is the one thing, you know, the thing with Seabold is he probably, I think he'd probably 
even acknowledge it himself, he probably should have been a bit harsher on some of the players early on, like Mark McGuire has. You've got to make them fight more for their spot, not just have it. Yeah, and I think that you, we mentioned that Borfeo and you did before this podcast. It reminds me of that Tigers team early when a lot of the players were given opportunity before they earned it and just given things to them. And they did this with this Broncos a lot. Like, we pushed out some senior players, gave guys leadership positions. Brody Croft was given leadership honours before even hitting the field for us. And it's like, when it doesn't work out, there's not really anything else you can do now, mate. Like, yeah. you're stuck with Brody Croft as a vice-captain. You can't really drop him that easily. No, you can't. And... Yeah, it's sort of like I was talking to someone about this the other day and they were sort of making the point, no, you never needed Croft because you had Pakes as can play half too. Well, he is a half. Um, but I, was, I still think that Tom Deere needed a senior half, um, especially someone like Croft. But it just hasn't worked out for poor old Brody. Like, I just, I don't, and I don't, I'm not quite sure how he's going to get it back either. I, I think hopefully next year he can because he's just a mile away from confidence. He is so so down on confidence. As are a lot of players, you know. It's sort of, um, I've actually taken some really, I actually really like what Darius has done the last week. I, not, I haven't really thought Darius has deserved his place in the team, but he's having a dig. He's having a go. Oh, God. Let's not do Darius chat. <laughs> that might be... Last week, get a go. I mean, like, again, I thought he should have been dropped after the Warriors game. I thought, well, I mean, I, I reported that there were going to be mass changes. I thought there were going to be big changes after that Warriors loss for the Bulldogs. Something changed. I don't know what, but something changed, and they weren't. But I still think I should have, I would have uh, dropped Darius and, and Milford for that game. But I will say that since then, I think he's actually got gone okay. That's okay. Anyway, I think um, no better don't to wrap it up on than Darius Boyd raps. <laughs> that's, that's me done. <laughs> no worries, mate. Great to chat. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Chris. Appreciate that. I'm sure our fans will love it too. Thanks again. All good, mate. Cheers. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.